welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for getting together with me. And uh, it's just such a beautiful morning here, and this is just a great spot to meet here at Lamar Sculpture Park. And uh, so how have you been lately? Been doing pretty good. Been doing pretty good. I've been, been enjoying the... It seems like we're going to get a longer transition into fall. So I kind of enjoy the change from... Well, I guess I enjoy all the changes. But uh, I think I prefer winter to spring and summer to fall best. So this is going to be one of the... You prefer winter? I prefer changing from winter to spring. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I prefer changing from summer to fall over changing from spring to summer and right. fall to winter, if that makes sense. Okay. It is nice. It's really nice this August. Anyway, um, you were just mentioning that you're kind of into tech. You listen to some tech podcasts. And now that you mention it, I notice you have like a pad for taking your notes on and you've mm-hmm. got a smart watch. So, you, you know, so um, is it um, what kind of appeals to you as far as tech goes? Um, I guess the idea that technology can bring information closer so that the time to access it is shorter. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't feel like I have to be always connected, if that makes sense. So I don't feel like I have to be on Facebook or Instagram constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoy being able to search things. I enjoy being able to access things, thoughts that I've written down or books that I want to read or things like that quickly so that I spend less time doing that and more time doing what I need to do with the information Hmm. yeah so it's information that's mainly what you enjoy of it huh kind of yeah Yeah. and i think content is some too i think the communication opportunity through technology is impressive like Mm -hmm. where we're at right now with tech the ability to communicate with anyone around the world almost instantly Mm-hmm. is is an amazing time to to live and there are, I'm mm-hmm. sure people could point out downsides mm-hmm. and there are plenty but um, I think the opportunity to get the gospel out right now is the it is easier than it ever has been um, hmm. yeah um, are there um, any things that make tech challenging to someone's life like um Sometimes I feel like an information junkie. I just want to take in take in anything that piques my interest, you know. And sometimes it seems like a little bit um, too much where I'm not remembering much. I'm just like, uh, it's almost like in, just entertainment a little bit. I don't know. Do you deal with any of that? Or is there anything else that you deal with concerning technology and yes. information? I, I agree with you. Um, ease of access does cheapen it. Mm-hmm. So like... Wikipedia is arguably one of the more valuable tools for information right now, but you're not reading with the same value that you would have if you had to look it up on a book, Mm -hmm. you know, in a book to see what's, what's there. So I think it does cheapen it. Mm -hmm. It does make it. So we, we read it. We kind of browse the, the, the world instead of truly observe it. Mm-hmm. I think there are potential downsides to access to things on the internet um, 
that are just dangerous. Um, so I think mm-hmm. there are ideas that are out there that are very, very bad. Um, there are people out there that are wanting to lure you into things that you shouldn't get into and mm-hmm. you know things like that. So I think there are definite downsides to it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to you kind of have to walk into that with your eyes open, but just like anything else, you, you need to be aware of what's happening mm-hmm. in, in the tool that you choose. Yeah. Do you play video games? I, I barely do. Okay. <laughs> I, I was telling a friend a couple of days ago that I have several games downloaded or I have several games on my phone, but I have a feature turned on on my phone that offloads apps that I don't use very often. Oh, do you? And okay. almost all my games are, offloaded right now because it's been months since i opened them yeah because i notice um like i'm not anti-video game but they can be addicting and i guess um, and i don't have a problem with video games but i I think that um just what i was mentioning sometimes just always wanting to be listening to something and not to have just quiet moments can be a problem too but i think Video games, the amount of time that they draw in, I am maybe a centimeter away from being anti-gaming. Mm-hmm. Particularly hardcore g- gaming, though, quickie games on phones are just as bad because right. of how addictive mm-hmm. they are and how few people actually train themselves to, to manage their time through them. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned... Uh, gospel getting gospel out Mm -hmm. so what tell me what you mean by gospel so the core of it that jesus came because mankind had fallen away from from god so we as a whole of of mankind and each individual person has rejected god jesus came out of god's love and his love for us to die on the cross giving his his life and and blood in place of what we could not give to God to be right with with God, um, and that would be the and that, and that and that He rose again and is in heaven with God now, and you know all of those things. But and then the the implications for what that has on how we live, and that is what the New Testament is all all about. Um, so getting into each individual thing, but that would be what I mean, okay. Particularly, and you you mentioned what Jesus did, but um, who is Jesus? He is God, okay. God, God the Son. Um, scripture calls him a bunch of different things. the The Jews looked looked to him as Christ, um, which is where we get the the, the term Jesus Christ from. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were looking to him, and he he came as a king, um, was rejected from his place on that throne, um, and the process died for the sins of all of all of mankind. So the the implications of God dying, I think, are one, is one of the biggest um, biggest truths of history, right there. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of more than, um, like, I could just imagine people hearing that. How is it possible for God to die? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, um, we actually just taught on this um, in a uh, youth activity thing that we have every couple of weeks at church. Um, and I got to teach on Jesus Christ 
his death and, and, and things like that. And, and it says he gave up the ghost. God literally gave up his own life. Sure, they, 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 they put him to, to, to a death, but in that moment, he gave up his, his, his life. I think that's, it's just, as you're saying, it's, as a human being, I don't really fully comprehend it. You know, the hugeness of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what I notice is like when you explain Jesus and his death, there's a big emphasis on the atonement. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm familiar with too, I guess because I'm, a, I'm an evangelical, you know, mm-hmm. that seems to be the emphasis. But when I talk with some people and I ask them, you know, just what is the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection? Um, for some people, it's all the example that that gives to us of sacrifice mm-hmm. and of um, entrusting ourselves into God's hands and giving ourselves away and, you know, following that example. And I think that's pretty legitimate um, for, um, you know, uh, you know, that's... That is biblical, too. Um, Jesus said, uh, take up your cross and follow me. And um, Paul, he speaks about, thinking of like Ephesians 5, chapter chapter 5, verse 1, I think, about, um, well, he says, be imitators of God, uh, just as Jesus um, gave up his life as a, a sacrifice, a pleasing offering to God. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. it, you know, um, that that's like an example for us, and you know, and there's several other places. Um, so I sometimes I feel like, um, well, my uh, tradition has, um, you know, kind of not had a whole lot of that emphasis, but then um, some others have had that emphasis, but the atonement, you know, almost seems lost to them. Um, and sometimes, you know, I bring up the atonement. Well, what do you think about this? Um, you know, as far as like a, a sacrifice um, to, so that we have a, a standing before God and are accepted by God, it's almost like it just doesn't register or something like that. Um, or not too much, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you have any thoughts about that? Or I don't think you get... Um... trying to think of how to say this um i don't know if you get the other side of it without the atonement side if that makes sense i don't think there's not a real reason to selflessly give for others if (laughs) this brings up another big conversation i don't think either one is less important but i think that the atonement side kind of precedes the you know yielding to to God's will and giving of yourself for others and things like that and I think once you've accepted once you see the value of the atonement side of it then the other side flows a little bit more naturally I can't say that in my experience the teaching has been missed um I know I, I teach on that. Others that I hear preach and teach on it do. But I do know, I do see the difference in emphasis that you're referring to. 
Um, I think the Bible bears them out. I think mm-hmm. there's probably. M- I think I'm going to speak this with. I'm going to say this without having actually counted the, the times. But uh, there might be more scripture that refers to the atonement aspects of of things than the other because, um, giving a, a, giving of yourself and following God's will, those do kind of naturally flow out of, you know, becoming gods. Um, Belonging to God. Mm-hmm. Right. It does seem like. The atonement seems like a more basic, the more basic fundamental meaning of it all. And then having been purchased by God, we, you know, of course, follow his example and serve him. Um, but for some people, it seems like it's putting an emphasis on guilt. And that's a little hard for me to, um, you know, it doesn't register with me a whole lot, but... Um, Sometimes when people come to my church who are not familiar with my church and, um, and th- you know, and what's being taught is, uh, you know, we are we're sinners and Jesus died for us to redeem us. And now we are, um, you know, accepted by him. And uh, this is a free, free to all. For some reason, they just, that guilt just, they just see that as... Um, well, this is all about guilt. Like it, for them, it would be more comfortable if um, there wasn't, it didn't start with that place of that guilt and that need. If it was, oh, we're all, you know, we're okay. God, you know, we're <laughs> doing the best we can. We're all okay. And, uh, um, and that God accepts us and we just follow him and learn from him. And it's more of a moral type of teaching. But Yeah, I think that, there is a potential danger in getting them out of order just because of that leading to, well, if I'm, as long as I'm good, I'm, I'm good, right? Yeah. You know, as long as I'm doing good, as long as I'm following this list of requirements, I'm okay without recognizing the grace of God in it. Yeah. So I agree with you. I, I think the gospel is going to be somewhat offensive. So people who are not saved, when they hear that, there will be, there is a potential that there will be some feelings <laughs> about it, and especially about other people willing to acknowledge the fact that they are not perfect and willing to point out that no one is. That can be very disconcerting to an insecure world. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where Christians have an opportunity to be, be real but then also to be bold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and people who are, you know, not coming from a Christian perspective, they speak about guilt. Like I think of Brene Brown. Are you familiar with her? She's got a podcast and she talks about authenticity a lot. And she talks about guilt. But so guilt is dealt with, but it's more of like, hey, this we need to give this up. Kind of like that. We need to acknowledge it and to get beyond it. Um, but it seems like the Christian message deals with guilt in a more, you know, it's, it's a realistic message because we all know we deal with this thing Mm -hmm. and it's kind of dealing with it in, in a way that's not playing it down, but, um, meeting it with an answer. Um, Jordan Peterson is, 
Are you familiar with them? Yes. Okay. So he um, he doesn't necessarily use the word guilt a lot, but he always talks about the the dark side. You know, we are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so he acknowledges we're not as good as we think we are. You know, uh, that's how he puts it sometimes. But <laughs> so yes. anyway, people deal with it. But it seems like the Christian message of not playing it down, but meeting it with something, is a real solid, realistic answer to it. Yeah, and then there's the, the aspect of okay, so what do you meet it with? If you're going to meet it with with something, shouldn't it be you getting good enough to out outweigh it? And that's that's I think another kind of countercultural point of scripture is that that just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I. I, I've seen some of the trends. I don't know the the name. You said Brene Brown. Brene Brown, yeah. I think I've heard the the name, but I haven't heard any of her her mm -hmm. um, stuff. But I I have heard what you mean with um, um, acknowledging guilt and acknowledging kind of a bad place. But it's usually just if everyone would get better, things would get better. Yeah. Right. And it's again back to what the world's been trying to to do. From the beginning, you know, covered over with a bunch of good, good works. Yeah. And, uh, hmm. and I've been meeting people um, outside of my circles, and there's some like really good people out there. Um, mm -hmm. But um, anyway, um, it's kind of interesting. You're familiar with Jordan Peterson. You, do you have you read his book, Twelve Rules of Life? Yes. And, okay. So you're yes. really into him. Not, I don't know about really into it. Right. I, Enough that you're real he's pretty a familiar. very um, interesting thinker. He is. He uh, he contradicts himself some though, and accepts it, which is odd. In what way? He acknowledges that life is meaningless without God, and then denies that God exists. Which is a bizarre place to live. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Twelve Rules for for Life is a good book as long as you, if you have the underpinnings of Scripture, it actually makes sense. If you don't, I feel like it's just another cool book that you know you could read for interest or to provoke thought. I think of it kind of like as wisdom literature, Proverbs, how to get along well in life and stuff like that. Kind of. Kind of, I mean, I think Proverbs is more comparing it to that. It would be like it would be several tiers down, but kind okay. of in that vein. I mean, I don't know. Okay. It, he <laughs> opinions are going here, right? So we're just you know. Yeah. He is very quick to acknowledge every world religion, basically, without reconciling the differences between them or the contradictions. Yeah. And it's just a it's just a useful tool for him to communicate a point. And he's looking at things from a what do you call it a psychological perspective or sure. philosophical perspective mm -hmm. or something like that. And when I hear him, he's not saying I'm he's he said he says he's not denying the metaphysical reality, whatever that might be, behind these things. Like, I haven't heard him just deny that there, God exists, but it's more like he's not going to make a comment on it. That's not what he's in talking about. In 12 Rules for, for, 
for Life, there was a book, I think, where he mentioned all the theories and arguments behind God being being dead. I think that was one of the rules. Uh, or it was the, the, <laughs> the philosophy behind one of his, his rules. And I, I guess you're right. He probably didn't just come out and say it. But he quoted others who did without disagreeing with them. So I don't yeah. know. Well, I know he mentions Nietzsche a lot and his God is dead type of thing. But he's more of, um, uh, though Nietzsche was an unbeliever, mm-hmm. it seems, um, he was more of um, explaining, you know, what Nietzsche was meaning. Like, um, we have this concept of God, we're killing this concept, and now how are we going to go on, you know, more than dealing with um you know, so it's almost dealing with a different issue because sure. Nietzsche's starting out as an unbeliever and saying we're killing God. You know, <laughs> but anyway, um, um, so that's what other type of things are you interested in, or you know, anything along the lines of Jordan Peterson, um, something that's kind of outside our evangelical circles that you are read and that you're just familiar with or that you follow? Hmm. Um, (laughs) Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything particularly interesting. I think it'd be safe to say that most news is outside of our evangelical (laughs) circles. Um, I'm not a news watcher, hardly. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I, and this is probably reflects poorly on me, but I mostly get news from things that are shared with me um, in various ways and from, like, online news. I don't really watch news either much, but um, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I have wet, read fairly widely, um, but I have not, can't think of anything off the top of my head that would fit into that. Okay. Framework. Um, hmm. So, you know, I, I'm using the word evangelical quite a bit. Do you identify with that? Because, like, some, you might identify more like as a, you're a fundamentalist, because um, you're, the church that you're a part of is kind of, I think, in that circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or is that like a smaller circle within evangelicalism? Or how, I would self-identify as a Baptist, a independent Baptist particularly, and it may be just a convenience thing. Um, As an independent Baptist, one of the things is we we believe and and value pretty highly the the authority and autonomy of the local church and kind of the accountability that that brings to each other, but then also the accountability that we have in God's word. Um, that's not to say that an independent Baptist church couldn't go wrong in a, in a particular area, but God hasn't called me to weigh in on where other people are. Um, I kind of hold that place with the people that I meet with as a church. Um, so that would be where I'm at. I think evangelical would be a broader umbrella than that and fundamentalist would kind of fit in there just a little bit more 
narrowly. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So sure. I think I would potentially fit under both of those, but I think they would be maybe too too broad to describe me as as you know as much as anyone wants a label, right? But. So um, the emphasis you have, or or the people you're with have, has is like independence rather than being under like some kind of a church government, um, like a pulp or even a presbytery. Sure. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like a group of believers, and and they're just independent, only um, accountable to the the Bible, but not to any um, kind of church authority outside of their congregation. And while that's, I agree with what you just said. I I think there would be times, and there probably are times, when people should approach other Christians, maybe even ones they don't go to the same church with and talk to them about things you know there, there, there's that accountability to other christians too and i don't want to like i think we need to be looking for and encouraging each other in a walk with god um and not trying to rule out any influence that others may have i i want to be an approachable person mm-hmm. you know i want to be right a person who is accountable to scripture yes but then is open for other people to talk to me about things. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how well I do with that, to be totally honest. Um, but that's, that's one of the things I, I, I see in Scripture and I also want to live out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you, you seem pretty well read, I guess. I'm, I'm just judging by you, you being familiar with Jordan Peterson. So that seems like you're kind of, um, you have your con- convictions and beliefs, but you're not closing your eyes to other ideas and things, um, which to me seems admirable. And I think sometimes in an independent state like that, we could get focused on, okay, well, this church agrees with me, so I'm going to listen to what their pastor preaches or writes or what, mm-hmm. you know. And I, that is fine. I, I, I do that. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. But I think to one of the reasons I read a little bit more widely than what I agree with mm-hmm. Um is that I want to know what other people are thinking. I want to know how my ideas, my beliefs um, interact with that. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to not get stuck in the pride of thinking that I'm always right, mm-hmm. which annoys me and other people, and I don't want to get there. Mm-hmm. If you ask some of my close friends and family, they might think that I've been there or maybe am there. You know, it depends on the time. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, speaking about the church and that type of thing, I read a book like several years ago. And I think it was called Rethinking Church. I might have the uh, title not quite right. A Reimagining Church. I think that's what it was. And... Basically, um, it was basically a book on the house church movement. But um, from that, I started thinking about how um, we uh, we tend to drive sometimes some distance to get to um, a group of people who think along the lines of just how we think and who we agree with and they agree with us. And that's kind of, that seems to be how we group together with other Christians. Now, and I, I kind of wonder sometimes if it might, w- wouldn't be better for us to group together more geographically. 
and of course that comes into play. Um, and the, the Catholic Church, you know, they have their parish type of thing, so they're grouping geographically. But of course it's all Catholic, you know, so it's still mm-hmm. those who are idea, you know, tradition is the same. Um, but, um, you know, P- Paul, like in Romans, um, he, he speaks about um, accommodating people who think differently. Like there were differences on um, if you could eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, if you could drink. I guess he was talking about alcohol, I suppose. Um, but there seemed to be some differences, and he seemed to be um, saying, you know, accommodate um, your brothers. They're living according to their conscience. They're living unto God, and... Um, and you know, he's the one who's going to judge them. Well, the way we group together by going to people who are a lot like us, it doesn't really leave much room for accommodating people, for exercising that, you know, of people who think differently and act differently. And it, it, it seems like I, I've wondered, like, you know, if it w- wouldn't it be nice if it was just the people up and down my street in my own neighborhood um, who, you know, ascribe to the basics of the Christian faith, like perhaps the Apostles' Creed or something that's pretty ecumenical, that, you know, puts a wide circle around people on the basics, but there might still be differences in um, whatever, baptism or, you know, there could be a lot of different things where you think of differences. And some way to um, live life with them and to accommodate those differences but to enjoy Christian fellowship and to be encouraging one another and um, being like the body of Christ right where you're at with those who are local to you. So I think that's probably where all the different denominations came from. Um, I mean, you can track that back over time. It's what differences they viewed as big enough to no longer meet together, right? Mm -hmm. And I think some that you mentioned would be... uh, big enough uh, baptism particularly I think is a is is an issue that gets off away from scripture enough that certain people who would call themselves quote unquote Christian you know get off in an area that I don't think that they would not be comfortable with how I would teach that um, and I would not be comfortable with how they would teach it and I would not want other I would not want say <sighs> people that I had influence with to be led wrong in those ways, if, if that makes sense. Um, so I think, in some ways, I think that it sounds really great. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it's um, it's pretty cool to think about that. And I think you can have fellowship with Christians who you don't agree with on, you know, fine points of, of things. I don't know if that fellowship has to be in church meetings. Okay. I would like to think that we could resolve the issues based just just based on scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, to take care of all the all the big things so that it could just be geography. But history has shown that a lot of people are not willing to go that that route. Oftentimes churches historically have been ways for people to collect power and exercise influence over people and I don't know. I don't it it sounds great um I I think there are more 
how would that how would that work? Like, how would you say we get from where we are now to that as you've thought about it these these years? Yeah. Um, well, as far as making some big societal change in the church, I don't know what would bring that about. Maybe, you know, like if the virus didn't bring it about, I don't know what else would, you know, uh-huh. but that does keep you from meeting in big groups, you know, where it could, you know, encourage local groups locally. But um, how that would look, I don't know. It does seem like it'd be difficult because if you're going to teach on something like baptism, for example, you know, if you have like leaders, they're going to teach the way they think it is right. Um, I, but I guess it would be just acknowledging that there's different traditions and, um, and there's, in, in my th- th- thoughts about it, there's people who are in these different traditions. Like I, there's a, a Lutheran fellow right across the street, you know, so he has high regard for the word of God. Um, but he's Lutheran, you know, mm-hmm. so he, um, of course has a different, um, mode of baptism than me and um and then he thinks different about the lord's supper too um he thinks some it's not just symbolic but there's something really going on when you take you know the lord's supper Uh so um it would be um somehow letting him have his beliefs and letting me disagree but we still take up the lord's supper um letting people who feel um, that mode of baptism is better to do that but allow I I know of one um, church it's a Methodist church where they do have both modes of baptism that might not be too uncommon and people kind of go according to their own conviction but um, it does seem like it would be difficult and not um, see I just wonder like how do you how do you teach that then? How do you, how do you be authentic in trying to teach that? I think that would compromise what you believe is truth. It's like, well, you know, the Bible says that says this, but I mean, if you want to do it that way, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't seem very yeah, real. I don't know. Yeah. Well, one thing is, um, maybe understanding the reasons why um, people are doing it differently. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just out of the blue. When when someone's doing something differently, they can normally back it up with Scripture. Now, we might look at that script. We might disagree with how they are supporting their views. Um, and then, for some, they're going to be backing it up with church history. Like, the, I think Lutherans emphasize early church history a lot, the apostolic fathers and so forth, and the Catholics do too, as far as why they feel about this and that, whereas I think in our traditions, we um, don't look at church history as much. We just stick straight to the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And um, so is, is there something to be said for church history? You know, like just that tradition, like it's been going on. So I think there's something to be said for it. Now, I don't think it's like an authority like the Bible is uh-huh. but I guess what I'm saying is people who think differently um, they do have their reasons so just understanding the reasons and understanding 
I don't, um, I'm not convinced. Sure. But, um, you know. So then if you listen to their reasons, then you bring someone unsaved into that church Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Even if they're wrong. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I I took a class on, I've talked with a lot of people who believe that uh, baptism saves, like literally. And I've Hmm. talked to many, many people, despite the abundance of scripture. Yeah. Um, And then I took a class that emphasized uh, child baptism a couple, it was a short, like, class a couple, like a year and a half ago or two years ago or something like that. Like a class? What kind of class? Uh, It was a Logos Bible, um, Logos Mobile Ed. So they were promoting this view. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. Yeah. So I, I, was, I was interested. Um, okay. And he described all of the modes of baptism and things like that and then proceeded to advocate or try and explain one, one way. And all he had was church history from, like, Middle Ages. Um, and it was... And later. Um, and there wasn't really any scripture on it. And then there, there was he, he quoted from a book trying to say that because it isn't mentioned in scripture, that actually advocates for it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand how that, how that plays. Um, so I'm not trying to be dismissive. I, I, have, I have looked into this issue, and I think it would lead people astray from actually following God's word. Yeah. So that would be an issue that I would separate from people from their teaching over. Now, rejecting the people themselves, that's not what God has called me to do. So you could still regard them as genuine brothers and sisters in Christ? Potentially, yeah. I mean, I would yeah. want, if they're if they're truly saved. I Honestly, I am very concerned for some people being taught that baptism saves you, like the act of being baptized saves you. Um, I think there are some churches that baptize Christians that teach, they're baptized Sorry, there are some churches that baptize children mm-hmm. um, that teach salvation correctly. Um, mm-hmm. However, there are many that don't, mm-hmm. and so it'd be, it would be really, I, in a concern for people's souls, I think, I feel like I have to be stronger in I that, see. right? Um, and that is not. To, I, I don't. I don't know how to come <laughs> come across really judgy here. Um, I really honestly care, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why I've done the research that I have. And honestly, that's why I have a lot of conversations that get incredibly awkward <laughs> about <laughs> this stuff uh, because <laughs> I just do do care. Right. Yeah. Okay. I see your point. I guess I can kind of see my point from an idealistic idealistic yeah. pl- place. You know, of like. This is a, if this is a true brother and sister, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I tend to, um, unless they show me different, if they're professing faith in Christ and, um, you know, then it, I tend to accept them. Yeah. Well, a first Corinthians 13, love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth mm-hmm. all things, endureth all things. I think mm-hmm. there's a sense where unless, unless you have some assurance, you don't want to go around doubting, you know, like openly questioning whether someone's saved. Yeah. I, I tend to do the same thing is, is what I'm saying. I think yeah. by default, God is working in, in, in them and he has not called me to be, to be the Holy Spirit, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Um, 
Well, speaking of confidence, like it seems like in your beliefs, it seems like it comes a lot from the scriptures themselves, that um, if the scriptures teach it, then um, that's what you believe. Well, what gives you confidence in the scriptures or in just the, the, the matter of the content of the Christian faith that Jesus... Um, so I guess it's kind of two separate, two separate questions. You know, that there's something beyond this naturalistic world, just that we can see and sense and stuff like that. Um, and then I guess it's like a little bit more narrowed down particular when it comes to, okay, so if there is a reality beyond this, a spiritual reality, you know, is everything that the Bible says about Jesus correct, you know? So what, what's your source of confidence... I guess with with it all, and especially with the scripture, since that mm-hmm. seems to be like a strong, um, you know, belief of you that the scriptures are an authority and so forth. So I think nature itself is one of the biggest examples of the existence of of God. Um, you go to so I, I woke up Wednesday morning. I try to get up and run early before work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and. Um, Wednesday morning, I got up and I was, I was out uh, as the sun was coming up, and I look out and the sky is is like painted with these clouds. I'm like, how? Where does that beauty come from without a creator? And you look at all of creation. Um, one of the one of the most probably naturally worshipful times is when you're seeing things that God has has made and you're left without question that it has has to be God. Um, I think God builds that in into us um, and I think nature bears it out. So that would be one of the main things. As far as the specific claims of scripture, mm-hmm. um, that is a... I remember a time when I was younger when all of a sudden I was hit with this... Um, like this feeling because how do I know that we that we got it right you know what what if someone else is 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 right um, I think if anyone is in that moment they should honestly look at it like they really need to be real about that not just dismiss it but I think scripture has a lot going for it in just the practical elements of life it's very practical Proverbs that you mentioned. Our church is going through uh, Proverbs right now. It is amazingly practical. Mm-hmm. Um, like, embarrassingly practical at times. And I think if, if you look at how you can see examples of how that the Bible works, right? And I know that's a kind of, I don't want to just say that flippantly, but it what the Bible teaches teaches works um, in real life and then archaeology consistently backs it up and this is something I don't know a ton about Um, you were talking about tech before so part of a consumer culture is uh, shows and we recently got a couple couple months ago got a subscription to Disney Plus that has a national geographic thing and on it are these specials that are trying to explain away miracles of scripture. Hmm. And they fall on their face trying to explain it away. 
and they're like bringing in, they are creating tangents to be able to explain them away when the archaeology that they're that, that they show would lead you to believe that it it worked that way you know hmm. it that it 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 actually happened the way scripture says um so that would be another part of it and that is coming from a non christian or i assume that that the guy is a non-christian based on stuff he says mm-hmm. um but then christian christians throughout the years have gone through and also you know looked into to these things and found it out and i think part of what makes what shows that the bible is real is partly kind of a personal experience with it hmm. yeah and i think that's where like personal faith and confidence comes from is yeah. that i do know no God. I talked with him just a few minutes ago. I listened to him in his word just just an hour and a half ago. You know, like it's that's he. It's a it's a very real thing. It's it's not just it's not just some system that I go through hoping to be a better person. Mm-hmm. I do think it makes me a better person, mm-hmm. but um, I, it's also just it's just real in that sense. I don't know if that answers all your yeah. questions. I think that's good. Kind of like scripture almost has like a self-authenticating type of thing to it. Like it, there's just that sense that has a moral weight to it. And also just a sense that these authors are, um, like I think of New Testament authors, like mm-hmm. they're not just telling, they're sincere and... Um, they're in a position to to know and um, and they're you know they're really and there's just something like you just have to have a sense that there's something to it it's just weighty in some way or something along those lines yeah yeah there is I think it's I think it's the work of God the Holy Spirit kind of bearing witness to the truth mm-hmm. um, in that and um also uh, applying it <laughs> as we as we need it, you know. Are you familiar with Alvin, Alvin Plantinga? I, I don't think so, no. Well, I just am more kind of recently familiar with him, but he's a philosopher and an American philosopher. He's his 80s now, retired, and he is like um, a big name in the field. And like if you look up American philosophy on Wiki, you know, he's there in the list with... A lot of other people that you're familiar with, and um, he, um, from what I understand, you know, in the field, um, religious faith was not seen as a rational thing. It wasn't so much like there was a judgment being made on like, is it true or is it not true? It's more like, well, I don't, you know, it's not rational because it's like if you flip a coin, and you know, is it heads or tails? Well, I believe it's heads. Well, you can believe it's heads, and you have fifty fifty percent. You know that you'd be right, but you can't say that's a rational belief. Whereas through his uh, work and so forth, um, religious belief has a more respectable position in the, the field of philosophy. Not so much that everyone's believers now. It's just that um, if um, if it is true that there is a God, and um, then us as His creatures, it makes sense that there's like an inner sense of the divine that he would make us in such a way um, 
and that um, so we would be able to just have that sense that there is a God. And that's how most people believe. Um, it's not like they've weighed through the arguments and they've came up with a rational, well, things weigh more heavily for God than against, so I'm going to be a believer. It's more of throughout the ages of mankind, um, uh, there's just people have believed in God. Um, maybe it was this God or that God, but they, you know, they there was just this sense mm-hmm. of the divine so um but some for me um the scriptures are something that I have to kind of wrestle with as far as like I'm in the Old Testament right now I'm just kind of reading just kind of cover to cover right now starting Genesis and I'm in Joshua but um and there's just like uh a lot of killing the men, women, and the babies, and killing the animals, and I mean, stuff that's just um, takes some wrestling through. Um, and not only that, but it's like um, it gets a little tedious because it's kind of the same theme for a long way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like conquering um, Canaan and. Um, you know, anyway. Yeah, then you get on into some of the other books where it's like it's constantly the back and forth. Someone comes in and takes parts of it right. back, and then you know, God's people right. get, get right with God and take it back. And Right. It's kind of like um, it gives, um, like Jesus is really historically rooted. Mm-hmm. So there's the history behind him. But it seems like Jesus, the story of Jesus, can also stand on its own and just resonate with people too that um, God you know loved mankind so much that he gave his his um, son to redeem the world I mean so it, it's like a really historically rooted type of thing if you want to get into it like that but if you don't know that history and you just have that simple message you know I think that can really resonate with people too hopefully yeah yeah, I think there is history. There is um, history to back up other parts of Scripture too. Like there's evidence of um, Israel in the in the land of Egypt, and then leaving the land of Egypt. Um, and there's historical evidence in the area of Israel of these cities, and even certain of of the kings kind of um, putting in history and archaeology along with history for you know various points of contact along the timeline leading to to Christ but uh, yeah. I think that you're right I think oftentimes it's the um, just the potency of the life of Christ that brings people to God and um, it's again your experience has also been been mine that's not it's not usually evidence like that that ultimately can convinces someone to Christ. It's it's just the awareness of the love of God, um, yeah. hmm. and the implications on, on their life. Yeah. Um. Well, 
Let's talk a little. You know, I'm impressed with your family. I know some of y'all, your mom and dad, and uh, some of your brothers and sisters. Um, so what was it like growing up in your household? Well, how many siblings do you have? So I am number five of seven. Okay. Um, there are four girls and three boys. Okay. I don't know how much detail you you want with all of this. Just whatever. So we're, we, we, are, we thought we were a large family for a while until we met some others that were larger. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I honestly, I loved it. Um, I grew up in a home where it was a normal thing to have a Bible reading time hmm. um, where we recognized answers to, to a prayer um, hmm. where we talked about, you know, what God was teaching us. And I, I'm so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love, I, I'm so blessed. And I know that a lot of people have not had that, that, that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad is a pastor. It's a relatively small church in uh, St. Louis County. You've, you've been there mm-hmm. uh, a couple times. And uh, it, we, I have been there my, my my entire life uh, as far as being a church mem- uh, member I've only been a member of one church mm-hmm. uh, my parents told me I was I came this Sunday after I was born I was born on like a Monday afternoon so I was, mom was healthy enough we were healthy enough that we were in church the next week and I, I've missed a lot of church since with being sick and stuff as kids but you know so I just um, that was my um, family experience dad got saved as it teenager mom was saved as a child um dad got to watch his family go from where his dad just basically said that god didn't exist um but lived a relatively good life so he was able to get around that you know just feeling okay with himself because he he was he was honestly a better man than some of the christians or people who claim to be christians in in that town Mm -hmm. um but then God worked in my my uncles, uh, two of my uncles, and they ultimately uh, witnessed to and saw the, the rest of my dad's uh, family get get saved. And uh, that whole side of my family has completely changed. You can see my where my grandpa and his kids, the joy in their lives versus some of the extended um, family, just how God has worked. And hmm. It's huge. So then dad got called to preach in college and completely changed tracks. Uh, he spent a lot of extra time in college because of that. And then, um, or not a lot of, you know, some extra time in college. And then met mom. And they moved here from Nebraska. And this is where we've, we've been. What brought them here? Um, they had gotten a contact with, with the uh, church, actually. Um, okay. the, the church was looking for a pastor at the, at the time. And so someone got dad's name and called him, and then they came down to, to candidate, and they moved here. So um, you mentioned, like, at your home you'd have time where you'd be reading the Bible or talking about it, and there'd be prayer, and you'd be recognizing answers to prayer and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Was that throughout all your years of being at home, or 
you know, pretty consistent or just as small children or, or how? Is it still the, going on? The entire time. Yeah. The entire time. It's nearly every night we still, I, so I still live at, at, at home. Okay. Um, nearly every night we still meet for Bible reading time and uh, we pray as a family. And then every Saturday, and again, there are exceptions when schedules get weird, but nearly every Saturday evening we get together to share what we've read by ourselves during the week. Hmm. Um, and that encouraged us to build habits for a devotional life at a, at a young age. So watching my mom and dad read, read their, their Bibles and pray as a kid, I started reading mine. I, I, am, I am sure that some days I did it just to check off an item on a list. You know, but starting as young as I did really helped me kind of um, learn of God and be able to grow in my understanding of Scripture and just walk with God. And I, uh, so that's that's kind of how it how it looks. We've done a lot of different things with that, so it's not over. It's not always just like you know we come in and sit down and read and move on and. Again, it's not just checking an item off a list, but it's. Um... So, um, how do you keep that regular? You know, how did your family keep that regular? Is it a certain time each evening, or is it um, like right after dinner, or like how? It's a great question. Um, honestly, you should ask my dad how he did it at some point. Okay. Because um, I, as consistent as it was, I just, as kids, the schedule was a lot easier to control, right? Because um, mm-hmm. we all weren't all working jobs and you know doing other things and stuff like that. So that was e- easy enough. Sometimes we did it in the morning. Uh, so right after breakfast, we would all go in, and we we were homeschooled, so it just was kind of part of our day. Mm-hmm. And then Dad would 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 leave to uh, go to work after that, and the rest of us would start school. Um, that was part of the time. And then as people, as some of the, my, uh, my sisters started getting jobs and things like that. Doing it in the morning didn't work out as well. So we do it in the evening, usually right before bed. No consistent time. Okay. Um, it's just kind of, we all know what's coming up. And so we make plans for it or we let them know if we're not going to be home in, in time so they can go on ahead. Okay. Um, otherwise they'll be waiting for you, huh? Yeah, actually, we we do. We, we if we know someone is going to be coming home, we'll just wait. Okay. Um, and it it's kind of you ha- kind of have to set these things as an important part of the day. So I always tell people if you're going to read your Bible yourself, get up 20 minutes before you would you would have to um, to give God that time first thing because the way we structure our days usually you don't have time unless you make it. Um, I think Christians throughout the years have talked about uh, reading. You know, Andrew Murray and Oswald Chambers and um, Hudson Taylor and a bunch of these men, they, they all um, had Bible reading times early. Some of them would get up extremely early and spend hours in prayer and s- scripture reading. I am not to that point yet, personally, <laughs> but that's the kind of model that I try to follow and I recommend to others. But then it just worked out better for our family time in the evening yeah um and you you'll pray together and 
talk about, and you, I guess it's kind of systematic if you're recording prayers and recording answers and stuff like that, huh? We haven't done the best at recording them. Okay. So we, we, we talk about them. I see. Okay. And we, like, we, we share about them. And I, that's one of the things. I do have a personal like prayer plan, kind of, um, but it's not one that I share with many other people. It's kind of just how God is leading me to pray right now. Okay. I do not currently have a good way to record answers to prayer. Okay. And that is a, um, that's a hole <laughs> that, I, that I need to fill. Okay. Um, so. so is it um, mainly your dad um, like leading and doing the speaking part? Or is it more participative where you all are kind of interacting, you know, in it as well? All right, so I'll just talk you through how it how it looks. Okay, sure. Most most nights. <laughs> so right now our church is going through Proverbs. Okay. Um, so we read Proverbs, and we'll either read the whole proverb on Monday night and then read it again because we're doing one chapter a week. Okay. Currently. Um. So that's what we do most nights. We'll read a portion of it, or we'll read um, all of it, and then we'll we'll talk through what it says. And okay. it could be where. Some nights, if everyone is at a log day and we're just exhausted, there, there, are, there are, honestly, there are times when dad does a lot of the talking. I would say most times, though, it's kind of a discussion. Okay. Um, and people are asking questions about things. Hey, you know, I've read this verse before, but this time, this part kind of struck me. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this? And then we'll, you know, do word studies and pull out... Um, commentaries if we if we need them but usually just talk about it you know just work through it and yeah check other places in scripture and and then so that's how it, that's how it usually looks and what what, what what we do is we'll start and have have opening time or opening prayer um just basically you know asking god to you know help us as we read his his word and um and then we we read in in a circle and just each person takes a verse and then the next okay. one gets the next verse until we're done, you know? Okay. And that we've done that ever since I was a kid. It kind of motivated us as kids to want to learn how to read. Um, cause then we could read, you know, during right. family time. Like okay. That. And you kind of work through a section, like a chapter or something like that. Yes. Okay. Um, and then at, then after that you guys pray together. Yes. And right now we've done a lot of things. Um, as a kid, there would be a couple of nights a week where everyone would, would pray. Uh, we just start at the youngest and pray up through. And when I was really, really young, I almost, almost never heard mom and dad pray because I would fall asleep. But uh, <laughs> now what we do is we pray, we're one person will pray a night. And okay. we have certain things that we pray for as a family and certain you know things that we're asking God to, to do uh, for our family, for the church, okay. uh, personally, and things like that. Okay. And uh, what about, you know, just your mom and dad? Do they do anything together separate to that? Or is that their kind of um, devotional time together as well? As for... I don't know, okay. actually. <laughs> now that you mention it. I know they do their personal Bible reading times in the morning. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to comment too much on, on what sure. they do. Yeah. Um, I don't. I know that they pray together Um but I don't know exactly when that happens or how that looks. Yeah. Um, when did your own conversion take place? Or 
is, did it just seem like you've always um, had this, um, you know, love for the Lord and desire to, um, you know, follow Him? Or was there um, a turning point in your life where it just all, you know, opened up and came together for you and so forth? Yeah. Um, so I... I was saved at the age of four. Okay. Um, and that, I guess you call that a, a conversion time. I don't remember a ton. I was four, you know. Yeah. I remember a few things about it. I remember I was, dad, I think was at, was somewhere at a, at a meeting. It was in the evening. And I'm pretty sure I had disobeyed mom or lied to her or something. And, uh. So being a good mom, she got after me and told me just, just what that, that meant. And for some reason in that moment, that particular time, the reality of sin just struck me. And I, I, I had been being taught it since I was born, you know, but at that point it struck me. And I remember her taking me to um, her Bible. I remember seeing it. I remember her pointing to it. And I couldn't read, but I remember it was, it was her Bible, you know. Um, and she, like, showed me the verse even though I couldn't read and wanted me to know that you know this is this is what it is and she read I think it was Romans 6 23 uh, the wages of sin is death the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our our, our Lord and um, so then I I trusted in Christ that that, that night I remember kneeling in, in prayer to talk to God about my sin but then also to you know express faith in in Christ hmm. and um being young, there were times when I kind of questioned it, like how much did I understand? Or I think um, I think a lot of people who are saved young kind of experience some of those questions and concerns hmm. and working through it. And I just would come back to that that verse that she shared with me over and over again: "Is the gift of God eternal life?" And Scripture says that it is. So that would be when I got saved. I think there's a lot of things I still needed to learn. You know, there's sometimes when people get saved older in life, there's a like a, a dramatic change in them, or you you occasionally see that. And I think growing up in a Christian home, and because I was so young, mm-hmm. who I have, who I am, and who I am becoming, you know, in Christ is was kind of developed a little bit more incrementally right hmm. um, well as far as your life no, now when you think of like what's really satisfying in life you know what comes to mind a couple far, of things okay. you mean like what what I feel like is fulfilling to me as a person like for, for lack of a better term I know That's fulfilling right. could be weird right you know, whatever Right. Yes. Um, a couple things. I love teaching scripture. Hmm. Um, I've, I'm, I teach a teen class at our church. We didn't have a teen class for a long time. We had a bunch of kids or young people coming who were no, no longer in the children's class, which we still had, but they were n- newly saved and were not quite ready for the adult class. So I teach the a teen class, and that is one of the most, one of the most fulfilling things about life for me right now. Um, I um, I get to work with some of them who are like just saved, 
and get to watch them and encourage them through discovering scripture and figuring out how to pray and mm-hmm. things like that. And I think that would be that'd be probably one of the most exciting things I've ever done in my entire life. Wow. Yeah. And then I've uh, recently started a blog. Okay. Where I kind of do some of that teaching. I'm right now writing blog posts through the book of First Timothy. Um, and I'm studying through it again. I've worked through it in the, in the past. I'm going through it and trying to give like, again, the, basically the, the, the same thing. So you're, you're approaching this passage of scripture, you know, what might have it sounded like to someone who was reading it the first time or, hmm. um, yeah. of course I'm reading it in, in English. I know it wasn't in English then, yeah. uh, but you know, what, what application can we draw from it? You know, mm-hmm. scripture is very practical. So what does that mean to us now, 2020, you know? Yeah. So those are the two things I probably find like the most joy in. Yeah. It sounds good. Um, what's, if, you know, like if I ask, well, what's the challenge of your life? Like the, you know, the whatever. Does anything in particular come to mind? The challenge. Like, what do you mean? Like, um, is there anything in life that um, is like, seems like it's an obstacle particular to you um, or maybe not particular to you, but you would, that's the thing that, um, yes, the, a challenge in life? Or? Probably myself. Yourself? <laughs> okay. It sounds, so we're going to get, get real here if you don't mind. Okay. I, was called to preach when I was around eight Hmm. and I the stories I hear from my childhood I could talk pretty clearly even even at a young age like you know start at the age of two in sentences and you know pretty clearly so I I don't remember it but that's that's the stories I hear um but then shortly after I was called to preach I started to stutter Hmm. And that has been one of the biggest struggles, I think. And if you know, there are things about like that, that's a, a physical issue. You know, it's it's a biological type of thing. Kind of. It's, okay. So the the vocal folds due to tension or just oddness, whatever. You know, hmm. um, I mean, you you could have a headache and it would make it worse. You could be thinking about something that'll happen in three weeks. You know, and you're nervous and it'll be oh, wow. be, be worse. Or hmm. it could just happen by itself sometimes i go two or three weeks and barely stammer or anything yeah um but what it does is just it just locks up and you just can't like you just you know what you know what you're, you're gonna say but you can't get it out well it just doesn't work yeah like hmm. and it's it's incredibly awkward i'll be on the phone for work and someone will ask me my name and you know then all of a sudden i can't pronounce jonathan you know and i can't get the it's usually the, the j sound of my own name i just it just won't come out and then, you know, people joke to try to break the tension. Oh, you don't even know your own name. And so that would be one of the bigger struggles. Um, and I think if I am, I don't really want to complain about it. I'd say in, in, in the past I have. And I found, I've read some, some books and I found some, some things that, that helped me. Um, but that would be one of the bigger challenges and then I think sometimes expectations that I set or things that I want that are not right with God. I don't know if that's unique to me, you know. 
I think that's kind of just human nature. And um, so those would be the big things. I'd, I'm not 100% sure that's, sure that's what you're after, but... Yeah. Um, well, you know, kind of thinking of... Well, what's the second thing you said? Like, just uh, expectations on yourself? That yeah, or expectations for life or myself or that wanting things that God doesn't want for me. I see. Okay. Like, kind of like personal ambition or something like that? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or just... There's a great... It's a great issue with uh, plans are great, you know, and I love to make plans. I think I mentioned before we started that productivity is something that I listen to podcasts about oh, and I yeah. read books. So I like, I like planning. I like, yeah. you know, um, but then if I can easily set my own goals up as standard for success, even if it's hmm. not particularly what God wants for me. Oh, I see. Hmm. And long-term things I can usually process through those it's the day-to-day things that I wish I could get out of my my own way Hmm. about Um, I tend to get frustrated about changes of plans right I'm just being honest here yeah (laughs) or that you're not getting things done that you're expecting to yeah Yeah. And, and what it ultimately comes down to is in that moment I think I am more important than other people and if I'm going to be honest, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not true, but you know. Yeah. You know, when it comes to like the, you were mentioning stuttering as a challenge, um, sometimes things that are really difficult, you know, they do have like a bright side or something like somehow God's used that, um, that's been used in your life for, for some than that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Is there anything like that that came about through the stuttering, or does it all look negative at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good question. I would say I knew what God wanted me to do, so I had to overcome a lot of fear mm-hmm. through it. And I think that was good because I tend to be a more naturally cautious person. Um. And ultimately, like if I'm going to get up and teach in Victory Club or preach in church or anything where I talk, sometimes it's just as simple as do I want to answer my phone right now? You know, you have to overcome the fear of looking stupid. Um, and you almost never get a chance to explain what is happening. Mm-hmm. You just look like you either don't know English or... <laughs> Or you don't, you know, you can't talk, you know. So it, I'd say overcoming fear would be one of the biggest things. And I I haven't perfectly arrived yet, but I think God has taught me a lot in it. Uh, Hmm. There's a verse in, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Hmm. that is, it's been a big comfort. I can't walk ahead in that fear. So that's put you in a lot of uncomfortable situations that have that has helped you um, just be more comfortable in uncomfortable situations. I guess I, that... I think it really has. Okay, cool. In working with teenagers, there are a lot of uncomfortable situations that come up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and especially with the group that we have right now, or that I that I'm that I'm working with, and not 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 all of them, but there's conversations that I have with them that a a godly parent would have with a child, mm-hmm. and that conversation has never happened with them, um, and that would be incredibly awkward. Like it is sometimes incredibly awkward, hmm. but I think having to decide, okay, so right now I'm going to talk, even if I can't physically talk. Mm-hmm. has helped me be able to come to the place where I'm willing to, okay, so right now this needs to be said and I am the one here to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, I don't know if that makes sense, but it really, it, it really has, ha- has helped, I think. Yeah. Um, well, do you have any other, have any routines? You mentioned, you know, getting up early and stuff like that. Any other routines in life that's been meaningful to you that you you know practice? My um, so the productivity system that I'm currently using. I'm going to go into nerd mode here here for a minute. Really encourages that um, setting things so you're kind of automate your your life. Yeah. Now part of that has the potential to set your brain into autopilot while you check through things. But one of the one of the things that has helped me a lot is to set up. So I do have some. I, I do have one of my one of the things I love is the morning routine that I go through. Um, and mornings when I get up and run, I have a prayer time while I run. A lot of a prayer time while I run. There's certain things that I have written down that I can't remember off the top of my head. You know, the people's exact names that I want to pray for and things like that. Um, but there's a lot of things I, I remember to pray for and. So that time has, has been very good. And, it, and the days that I, that I don't run, I get up and have that uh, prayer time uh, before I go to work, before I go elsewhere. And uh, So that's really special. Um, mm-hmm. And I started doing that more in the last couple of years. And then one of, the, one of the best decisions I made, I've ever made in my entire life, is to read my Bible before I start my, my, my day. So when I said a few minutes ago that I encourage people to get up... Tr- 20 minutes before they 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 have to. Um, that for me right now looks more like getting up about 45 minutes before I have to, or sometimes as much as an hour or so. Mm-hmm. And again, I value that time so much. Hmm. It's just it's and that's why I, I read my my Bible. I follow um, a journaling plan with it to kind of look for application versus just reading it and closing it and putting it away for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of some of my routines in that. You know, is, does your productivity plan have a name to it? Is it a system? Oh, uh, the full focus uh, system Okay. by Michael Hyatt. I don't know if you've heard of him. I'm familiar with the name. Okay. Yeah, Michael Hyatt sounds familiar. Full focus, huh? Yeah, it's a full focus planner is what I'm currently using. I don't know if I'll use the planner all the time. Okay. But I've been in it less than a year now, and so I'm kind of trying to build the, the routines. And basically what it tries to get you to, to do is, all right, so what three things this week or what three you know bigger tasks this week would, would make the week successful? Hmm. And then... You break that down into up to three big items per day. And now there are a ton of other things that you get done, but those are like, those are the most important things. So then the system as a whole works to um, 
help kind of refine what you're doing. So you're not, don't do things that isn't going to get you down the road to your goals, you know, and combining that with the Christian life is especially helpful because I think laying things aside is a Christian discipline that Mm. is very, very helpful. You know, Mm. there are lots of good things that can be, that can be done. But uh, what would be best? What does God right. want you to spend your time on? It sounds interesting. So, um, like three things each week that if you accomplish those things, it make the week successful. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and I mean, honestly, there are some weeks where they don't all get get done yeah. because you know other stuff happens. But you that way you're setting out an end goal, and then you can break that down into steps each each day, mm-hmm. so that you you know, are performing on, on those goals. I recently listened to an um, audio book by, I guess, by Stephen Covey. And, you know, he, I guess it's, I got his name right. He's the one who wrote um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Okay. Okay. I, so, I haven't read it. I have heard of it. And it's one of the books I would like to, to read. I think I watched a TED Talk by him a couple of years ago. Okay. I, I could be wrong. I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was him. So okay. I go ahead. And um, this book, titled something like putting first things first or something, it's about, you know, doing the main things um, in life. And um, he also mentions, instead of planning each day, look at it more as like in a week and plan your week out. And um, that he advocates that sounds kind of similar to like what you're doing here with your three focus you know three yeah. things and that's that's the key thing he um it sounds a lot like that um michael hyatt also encourages running kind of a core weekly schedule so you you lay out ahead of time and you block time for for certain things um because a lot of what you hear is people saying oh man i, I would do that if i had had time we all only have seven days a week and 24 hours a day and mm-hmm. all of those, those same things. So then it becomes like, how are you choosing to spend your, your time? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a concept exclusive to him, you know, like a lot of people <laughs> have realized that we only have it seven days a week and right. so many hours a day, you know, but yeah. So, um, like as far as your this week, there's three things that you're keeping in mind. Like, yes. Do you want to share what one of them or <laughs> any of them? Or so this week my work schedule is a little bit different. Um, so I kind of have focused on um, a my plans for the weekend. So I will be getting ready to teach my my class. I'll be leading songs at church this this month. So preparing for for those things was okay. one of my my big three okay and then um i had blog posts that i needed to finish up okay. and get on the on the on the blog and that's the only one that i currently have done of of my big three and it's friday so you know we'll see what what actually happens <laughs> and then the third one because the week was 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 going to be weird um i'm actually leaving to go camping tonight for a night so I put that on there because I decided that time with friends and was was important enough. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. And you know, these three things that you're choosing each week, do they fit within a bigger overall life plan or anything? So usually my big three would be different and they would involve more long-term goals. Okay. Um, And I have not taken time to write a full life plan. Okay. I am familiar with with the concept and I need to. Hmm. but I have several yearly goals and some habit goals that I work on each each day, and um, some some things like that that I'm yeah. working towards. So normally there would be more of those types of things in my my weekly big three that would then get scheduled into smaller chunks throughout my daily big, big three. Goals just have never really worked for me very much. It seems like they're exciting to make for me. But I just lose interest, and uh, something else comes along, and I could make some new goals. But it's like just sticking with the same ones over a period of time doesn't work. So I've been focusing more on like making routines that mm-hmm. will at least move me in the direction I want to go in. Because if I kind of can stick with a routine for a while, um, it can kind of become a habit, and then I'm not really thinking about it so much. But um, as far as being real structured in like a, a plan that stretches out into the future. Mm-hmm. I've started many times, but it hasn't lasted very long. <laughs> so that's, I think, where a lot of people get goals mixed up. I think they're supposed to be like what, like what you're doing. Um, so, and again, there's probably a million ways to describe this, but the way Michael Hyatt's system works, you have two types of goals. You have an achievement goal, so that's a one-time thing. This is something that has to get done by a certain time, or if you miss it, you decide whether or not you're gonna do it, you know? And then you have a habit goal. And the habit goal, the purpose of it is to establish something as part of your hmm. your routine, whether weekly or daily or something like that. Because if you have a million things on your checklist every day that you have to somehow find a place for it, then you have that mental energy going to keeping up with your super structured life. And that just is exhausting. Hmm. But if you install a habit like what you're Mm -hmm. referring to, then you don't have to spend the energy deciding when to do it or what you're going to do. You just know that at this time you're going to do this. Yeah. Um. This is kind of veering off a little bit, but it's kind of related to, like, day-to-day living and so forth. Um, Like, are you familiar with when people talk about mindfulness? And Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, through my experience, I can kind of, you know, I've experienced the difference between just going through a day, uh, just trying to get the next thing done, the next thing done... um, compared to um, kind of trying to be in the moment and enjoying that somewhat. And um, even um, in simple things like eating a dinner instead of um, just trying to accomplish getting all that food down and going on, um, taking time to consider and being thankful for Mm -hmm. what I'm experiencing right now. And even with just people, sometimes... um, you know, it's it takes intentional effort just to enjoy being. I'm in that person. I'm in your presence. You know, and and that's not something that I always get to do. So I should just enjoy. What is it like to be here sitting with Jonathan talking to him? You know, um, and I'm I'm one. And then there's the, the idea of 
mindfulness meditation where you kind of have a disciplined time of just sitting and trying to be present, like um, just following your breathing or, or whatever, or if you're, if thoughts intrude, instead of getting caught up in them, observing them, and and you can't really observe a thought and think it at the same time. So, it just, <laughs> but um, anyway, have you ever has that ever piqued your interest, or have you ever um, dealt with that or thought about it? So, or? mindfulness is. It, it has interested me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is mostly a secular concept from my exposure. That might right. not be exclusively true. Um, the meditation part of it, I found, I can't remember what book it was. I read a book a couple of years ago that did the research comparing that exercise with scripture memory and prayer and meditating on scripture and talking with with that god compared to the exercise of meditation in its you know varied forms right yeah and it found that the benefits for it were actually were actually probably a little bit better exercising scripture memory and prayer okay um and then so if and again sometimes i think as christians it's tempting to get into prayer and be like okay so god i've got this bunch of things this 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 list and we got to talk about all this stuff and I have an agenda for for our time instead of just like you're saying so a concept that I I've, I've been interested in that kind of correlates with this I think a bit is living consciously in the presence of God hmm. and so we we know that God is with us all the time right we know that he is everywhere mm-hmm. but then how does that affect how we live like hmm. it would be weird, probably, to you know go walking down the down a path here in the park, and be like all of a sudden, oh, hey God, do you see that that tree, you know, and all of a sudden talk to him, but it would almost be that real, where we're living like God is there with us all the time. So that's, um, praying all the time, so that wherever we are, we're we're aware of that. And that has been very, very helpful to me when I remember to practice it. Mm-hmm. And um, I say I, I would say I've grown in that a lot. I think the other parts of it, like just being aware of who you're with, mm-hmm. one of the things in my life that could be super frustrating is having to go stand in line hmm. places. For some reason, that just like it feels like a waste of time. If I could, like I should be able to do that online or something. <laughs> I don't know. But then when I take the time to step back and be like, okay, so there are people here that I will probably never meet again. Is there an opportunity for me to interact with them in, in any way? Hmm. And I think that has been very, very helpful, like just being aware. And it comes, um, digging my phone out of my pocket, and it comes to, okay, so am I willing to close my phone when I'm not doing anything important, just put it away? Mm-hmm. Do I have to have it out? every second that I'm not driving or perform or doing some task at work, you know, mm-hmm. I think if, if we could, if I can just get away from those things, it really helps me to be present. Yeah. And then, uh, when you're waiting in line, is it an experience of yours to interact with people who are just standing there silent? Trying. Okay. Right now, masks are making it very difficult. Hmm. 
because they can't see you know most of my face you know it's like yeah um so then you try to talk with someone and sometimes even through the mask they can't even tell that you're trying to talk with them yeah so i think pre-covid it was easier yeah um i was talking with some some people after church a couple weeks ago like what does personal evangelism look like in this era like you can't there there are parts where you know occasionally you go knock on doors and you know try to meet people or you know leaving giving someone a tract at the store right now is almost considered a threatening thing you know and then trying to talk to a stranger most of the time is perceived as offensive you know so it's it's becoming it's a very different thing and i think knowing how to do that i was trying to be nice to uh, someone i was in line behind at walmart a couple i guess it was saturday and she just got very offended that i that i would talk to her (laughs) Mm -hmm. just out of the blue and i'm like i am so sorry i'm not trying to make you uncomfortable and i backed away you know and you know, all this stuff, I just, it's just a very interesting, it's a very odd time for those, those kinds. But yes, to, that's a long answer to your, your, your question. I do, I do try to, um, sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. Yeah. Um, you know, you're speaking about acknowledging the presence of God. There's a, a book, Middle Ages, I think was written by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. I think he was a monk. Are you familiar with it? I have read I've read something by Brother Lawrence I can't remember if it was that book or not it was a couple of years ago but I, okay. I that's probably it I think that's the only one he wrote that oh I'm was it okay with. Wait, Oman. and I could have the title a little off too uh, it's not worth trying to look up right now so what, so what, what were you going to say about it no but that just seems to correspond with what yeah. you were talking about like that was a big thing for him to always be uh, conscious that he's in the presence of God and to be kind of in relation with God consciously all the time, you know, in, in even the most menial task, you know. Mm-hmm. I either read that book or I heard or I read a book of someone talking about it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I can't remember which one right now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I've, um, um, you know, as far as like relating to people or, like I've recently gotten involved with a meetup group of men called St. Louis League of Empowering Gentlemen, and I've been just enjoying it as far as like meeting people outside of my circle and getting to talk with them. And I would, um, so it is a way, um, you know, even in COVID where you can't really um, interact so easily with people you don't know, um, that's been good for me. And I don't know if it would be appropriate to the people who join that group. It's for it's normally for the sake of relationships, making relationships with other men, and um, to um, because sometimes, well, we can we take things for granted. I think who are part of a church because we have like a built-in you know family and relationships, and people who don't you know well they have you know they're close family members, you know a handful maybe. Um, and then they have their work um, friends, but you know those work friends. You know, it's work, it doesn't tend to go very deep sometimes. And um, so, the idea of 
developing relationships and stuff, we might take for granted more than, you know, and others might uh, not experience that. Um, so the people who join this, you know, they're interested in relationships with other men um, for the sake of relationship and for the sake of helping one another grow as men. Mm-hmm. And um, it probably would be inappropriate to um, join a group like that for an ulterior ulterior motive like for evangelism. Mm-hmm. But it is really neat to be able to meet people outside of my circle and just be authentic and and then us talking about our beliefs, religious beliefs or beliefs about life or whatever just naturally come up and uh, to have that interaction. So anyway, there's a bunch of meetup groups and it's um, a lot of them are discussion groups and it's kind of a way and this group is is meeting in person um, some like at Tower Grove Park or um, just one-on-one and type of things like that but uh, a lot of groups now are meeting on online uh-huh. you know but anyway it's something I've been enjoying lately yeah is there anything else you'd like to um, bring up before we just wrap up I don't I don't think so okay well, it's been really good to talk with you, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks for the, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, do you want to mention your blog? Yeah, so it's uh, wordfitlyspoken.life. Okay. So it's kind of a different one. It's based on Proverbs 25, verse 11. And the idea is to um, teach about God's word in a way that is fitting and given to application. Cool. Right. Thank you. Thank you. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Mm-hmm.